When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation is building its Do Good Village in Lando Lakes, Florida. It's the first of its kind, a community of 110 homes for the foundation's program recipients. So together, families can heal. So together, families can help one another. A special place where families know that their neighbors understand and care. Make the Do Good Village the first of many. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T, dot org. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Mr. Shaka Cummings, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, welcome to F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers, great sports, biggest issues. And where Mr. Cummings could not find the record button to begin this podcast. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, how are you doing on this fine Sunday almost afternoon, sir? I'm doing okay. Uh, we're in the middle of moving just to a different place down the street. Nothing big and crazy, but that's a little stressful around here. How are you doing, Mr. Cummings? It is stressful for you because how many pairs of Jordans do you have? How are you going to move them? Like That's actually <laughs> like a legit concern. Incidentally, speaking of Jordans, so now I have a couple of pairs of Jordans coming in that you don't have. Now, uh, one of the ones that I was getting that you do have, that deal fell through. It's it's like it's almost like the Deshaun Watson trade. Um, I <laughs> am instead getting a third pair of Jordans. So now I got the Lucky Green 13s. I got the Ghost Green 5s, which are the Bel Air alternates. And yeah. then I'm getting the Barcelona Night 7s. So those are the ones I got oh, coming Oh, I got in. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's jump into <laughs> Gold Stars of Detentions, Mr. Ainsworth. So uh, my first Gold Star goes to Zion Williamson, who... Over the last dozen games, he's averaging 34 points per game, a little over. He's shooting over 70%. The Pelicans are only 6-6, six and six, but it doesn't feel like that's Zion's fault. 
So, uh, gold star to him. I'm scared to death, by the way, because the Knicks play the Pelicans this week. We got the Pel- <laughs> we got the Pelicans on Wednesday, and then we got them again uh, this coming Sunday. So, I don't know that we're going to do anything to slow down Zion, but Zion versus Julius Randle could be fun. Yeah, so my first gold star in a similar like statistical vein is going to go to Enos Cantor, because, frankly, I feel like I've given Enos Cantor a lot of hell on this podcast and other podcasts for being a not-so-great <laughs> defender. But last night he pulled – we're recording on Sunday, and last night, Saturday night, he pulled in – 30 rebounds, and I maintain that rebounding is a defensive stat, and so for a guy that has never thought of him as a very strong defender, shout out for getting 30 rebounds in a single game. That's a lot of boards. I'm looking back here. Obviously, Wilt Chamberlain did a lot more than this, but I'm having a hard time finding, besides Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Russell, like a whole lot of guys that have broken the 30 mark. Um, did Rodman do it? Um, because Dennis Rodman is the first one that comes to mind for me. I'm sure that he's done it a couple of times. He so the this list stops at 38 because Wilt Chamberlain did 38 a lot of times. <laughs> um, he might have gone somewhere in the middle there. But <laughs> I'm wondering if Andre Drummond may have hit it too. 30 is a lot of rebounds though. I don't. I feel like if Drummond did it, I would know. Okay, my my next gold star, Mr. Ainsworth. Is going to go to Joe Musgrove. Joe Musgrove, starting pitcher for the San Diego Padres, threw a no-hitter this week. The first no-hitter in San Diego Padres history. Now, we did our baseball preview, Mr. Ainsworth, where we talked about Blake Snell and you, Darvish, potentially anchoring the San Diego Padres rotation. And now Joe Musgrove is 2-0. His ERA is (laughs) 0. 0. He has not given up a run yet. He's got 18 strikeouts and 2 starts. So... Um, This is just to let you know that baseball is incredibly unpredictable, right? It's looking like Musgrove potentially could be the ace of the staff this year. Oh, by the way, the Padres have a winning record. They're second in the division right now. They just have to stay healthy because Tatis literally hurt himself swinging. Uh, My next gold star is going to go to Candace Parker. Um, Candace Parker is obviously getting a lot of credit for her Tuesday nights on TNT. Uh, she wore a shattered glass ceiling sweatshirt last week. Amongst, That's awesome. Amongst a lot of other things she's doing, two shatter said glass ceilings, like owning Shaquille O'Neal every Tuesday night on <laughs> TNT. Um, I thought it was interesting that she seems to be completely going face first into this idea that she is the brightest mind on that set, and she knows it, and that is awesome. No, absolutely. I'm just envisioning at one point Shaq saying something dumb and Candace Parker coming back with the Google me, the way that Shaq did to Barkley a couple years ago. Like, that'd be awesome. My final gold star, Mr. Ainsworth, is for the UMass men's hockey team, who last night won the national championship in collegiate men's hockey. Shout out to UMass. They won their first Division I championship in school history, like regardless of sport. UMass does have apparently a national championship in women's lacrosse, but it's not D1. So this is their Mm. first Division I men's championship. They won 5-0 over St. Cloud State. For those of you guys who don't know, St. Cloud State is in Minnesota, just in case you didn't know that. Uh, but they, <laughs> they they won 5-0. Literally, like, the first goal was this two-on-none breakaway where it's, like, this back-and-forth passing. It reminded me of when I used to play, like, NHL 95 on my Sega Genesis. I used to kill people with that stuff. So uh, they basically just went from there to kind of crush St. Cloud State. And incidentally, uh, UMass went 18-0-1 this season when they scored first. So the moment that they scored first, the game was basically right. over. Um, and <laughs> Shout out to a colleague of mine, Chris McGinley. He's a UMass alum, and he was talking to me all week about UMass because in their Final Four game, they were actually missing, like, three important players because of COVID protocols. They had to uh, put their equipment manager 
in a goalie uniform to be the backup on the bench so they could play the game to have enough eligible players. That lets you know how much in trouble they were in the Final Four, and they still managed to win the National Championship. So shout out to UMass men's hockey. Uh, my last goal star goes to a special teacher named me uh, for our, my idea <laughs> on the Baylor doc. Because the Baylor documentary would have been tied up so perfectly. We, we're going to talk about more about the college basketball tournament, plural, in a minute. But if you go back and listen to our June 1st episode, the only teaser I'll drop is that I had this idea for a long-form documentary, much like The Last Dance, where you start with Waco in the early 90s and the rise and fall and rise and fall and all the craziness that happens there, including like a murder trial and a whole lot of football and women's basketball and then men's basketball. There's a whole, all kinds of stuff. And man, Monday night would have been the perfect <laughs> bow for a great documentary. Someone ought to hire us, Mr. Cummings. Absolutely. I think we could do a great job of that documentary. I don't um, I can't remember like what the name was that we were coming up with. I feel like it was a play on Chip and Joanna Gaines from from <laughs> the whole show on HGTV. Anyway, um, yeah. And so, Mr. Ainsworth, that's awesome. You gave yourself a gold star. I'm going to go out of order now with my detentions. I'm going to give my first attention <laughs> to you, Mr. Ainsworth. And um, the reason why I'm giving my first attention to you is because I put out an awesome tweet and I did not get a like from you. That awesome tweet. <laughs> References the fact that Arizona fired Sean Miller, who's their men's basketball coach. And so I tweeted out, Arizona needs to hire Adia Barnes, their women's basketball coach, to be their new men's basketball coach. And I got no response for you, Mr. Angel. So obviously you don't care about gender equity and these sorts of things. I'm, <laughs> I'm curious. Do you think that that would be a good fit for Arizona to give a shot? I know that we talk about this idea of women jumping into coaching men. Right. What about Adia Barnes in Arizona? Do you think that that might be a good first foray for this to happen at the highest levels of basketball? I mean, it would be a good fit if she wanted to make the jump. I, I think that she absolutely could, and I think that she's got the swag. I mean, you know, flipping the bird like no one thought would be here in FM. <laughs> so, like, she's got the swag to go do it. My, I, I want to credit my brother with this take because, honestly, he had it, and I've stolen it several times. But the truth is the women's college basketball sideline with – all the different races of people and all the different genders of people and all like that is what you ideally want across all of your sidelines, right? Like, like that's the way that the women's college game has already gotten there. There are men, there are women, there are people of all different races, creeds, and ethnicities. Like, I think that that's really the goal for all sidelines, especially a sport like basketball that both genders play. I'm curious what it would be like when Adia Barnes would go into a living room to recruit because... Arizona has incredible basketball tradition. They've got national championships. So this is not a program that's doing this because they need the attention, right? Arizona's got plenty of collegiate basketball attention and eyes on it. And so I wonder what that recruiting would be like. I, I think that Adia Barnes has the temperament and the, the play style. Like if you looked at how the women played, they play in a way that she could say, hey, men, we're going to take this system translated over and I think that she could get a lot of uh, good perimeter players who'd want to play that way, kind of up and down, let's shoot some threes, these sorts of things. The way that she used Ari McDonald, like that's the way every high school five-star kid Absolutely. wants to be treated anyway. Absolutely. I want the green light every time I got the ball to put shots <laughs> up. You know what I mean? I know that I have a few more detentions than you. I'm going to jump into my next detention. We were having this conversation on Twitter yesterday. Uh, I'm detentioning the Brooklyn Nets. I think that at one point... I've actually said that I like their gray floor. I've turned on that. I didn't like that yesterday. I'm watching the <laughs> Lakers-Brooklyn Nets game. It reminded me 
of an episode of WandaVision. Basically, there's black and white in color and it's starting to, because it's all based on old television shows. Like, that's what it looked like. And so, right. I think that that's a floor that probably looks a lot better in person than it does on television. I kind of like it. I think it's interesting they pulled that in a way to match the Bas uh, Basquiat jerseys. And I'd argue that the Basquiat jerseys need like a little bit more artwork on them. They're like too plain, which is very similar to their normal uniform. Anyway, I digress. But I think it's an interesting play off of those jerseys because there are pops of color. But I, I liked the gray. I like funky stuff like that. Now, I mean, I kind of like funky stuff too. Like I like Smurf Turf. I like the um, you know, the Inferno up in Eastern Washington. Like these are football things. I even like the Oregon floor with the forest on it, the University of right. Oregon and that paint job. I mean, it's this particular, I think it's the black and white that messes with me. Incidentally, and I think that I've tweeted this at you, Mr. Ainsworth as well. Like the Basquiat jerseys feel incredibly problematic because I'm pretty sure that Basquiat would not like partner with the NBA on this, but I digress. <laughs> I digress. Uh, well, that's a separate, I was talking very much about aesthetics. That's a whole separate thing. <laughs> uh, Mr. Ainsworth, how about your detention, sir? My detention is for all people over seven feet tall that are trying my man, KJ Martin. KJ Martin's <laughs> list of people he's blocked at the rim thus far includes Boban, Rudy Gobert, Porzingis, Taco Falls, John Collins, and the latest is James Wiseman. Now that's a lot of people a whole lot taller than the six foot six Kenyon Martin Jr. and they keep trying him. He keeps stuffing people at the rim. Um, and so shout out to KJ, our six foot six rim protector. You thought we were done with small ball, but our <laughs> rim protector is six foot six. No worries, I mean, incidentally, he comes by that honestly. Like, do you remember his dad? His dad six nine used to block everything. Like, what are <laughs> exactly. you doing? Like Kenyon Martin, actually, in my opinion, offensively quite limited, but defensively, like, was a dog. So it's no surprise. Mr. Ainsworth, my final detention goes to Dusty Baker. And I know that this is going to be one that hits you as a Houston Astros <laughs> fan. Um, Dusty Baker. The Houston Astros have managed to do something that I thought was impossible. They've made Dusty Baker unlikable. Uh, Dusty Baker comes <laughs> out earlier this week. After the Astros played the Oakland Athletics, the A's fans are killing the Astros. They're booing them. They're banging trash cans. They're doing all sorts of stuff, right? And Dusty Baker's take on it in the post-game press conference is, how many people in the stands have never done anything wrong in their life? We paid the price for it. Number one... Nobody cares about what anyone else has done wrong because that is taking the responsibility and accountability that you need to have on yourself and you're trying to shirk that and project that onto other people. The second thing is somebody explained to me how they paid the price for it. You still got the ring. None of your players got suspended. I don't know what price you paid. Oh, because your GM that nobody knew about and because he got fired? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sure the golden parachute that he fell on hurt when he landed. Like, get out of here with that foolishness. Just shut I think my biggest thing there is that, well, first of all, I would say that people knew who Jeff Lunau was. But I, I think that my thing is that Dusty's clearly frustrated because, and he knew he stepped into this job. So I get that, that criticism, but Dusty wasn't there for any of this. <laughs> like, like, I'm sure Dusty is very frustrated. Like, like, I think that's very understandable. Dusty wasn't there for any of this. He's like, God, I'm tired of doing this over and over again. Don't complain, Dusty, because it wasn't like nobody knew they cheated and fired their manager when he came in. Nope, everybody knew. Anyway, um, detention to Dusty Baker. I know that we have some differing perspectives on this one, but I feel like it's too, like, emotional for both of us to really have objective <laughs> perspectives. Speaking of things that we are too emotionally attached to uh we're going to talk sam darno and the trade from the jets then we'll, <laughs> then we'll talk about the ncaa men's and women's uh basketball tournaments and which one was most compelling and then we'll talk about a tradition unlike any other the masters well is it really a tradition unlike any other 
Can't we say that, Mr. Ainsworth? Look, we're not going to get in copyright trouble, are we? Uh, we'll, t we'll talk about whether or not Mr. Combs will edit that out later. Without further ado, Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. Okay, Mr. Cummings. So our first thesis this week hits a little close to home for one of us and is kind of funny <laughs> from afar for the other. I want to ask you a question about your New York Jet. New York Jets made a big splash last week in trading Sam Darnold. The thesis reads the new york jets won the sam darnold trade you hear that as a jets fan and you think classic c good and bad classic c well i'm worried this is about to get really boring because i also think it's a very very classic c so see what your <laughs> differentiating factors are in a second as soon as i start talking sam darnold this will not be boring <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Cummings, I'm going to throw this to you first because you are the Jets fan. We both gave this a C, but I know that you are a big Darnold fan and you <laughs> are a big Jets fan. And so I got to hear, why is this trade a C? Because the Jets are stupid and maybe they're <laughs> smart, right? Like, I don't, here's the thing, right? Sam Darno was never given a real chance to be successful with the Jets because he had Adam Gase. And the Jets made the decision to bring Adam Gase in, a man who literally has had no success in this league, except when he was with Peyton Manning. So essentially what you're blaming Sam Darnold for is not being the next Peyton Manning. And now you're going to trade him. He is as young, if not younger, than all the quarterbacks who are available in this draft. And so once you make the decision to trade Sam Darnold, you're essentially saying, we're going to go take one of these quarterbacks. When I see this stuff, it makes me incredibly frustrated. We put no weapons around Sam Darnold. He's got mono. He has to miss games. He has to, he has to be with Adam Gase. You know what? We should pay him millions of dollars just for having to put up with Adam Gase. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You could have given Sam Darnold this year to figure this out with the new coaching staff and... You could draft someone at number two that's a weapon. Because the reality is, other than the dude at the top of this draft, Trevor Lawrence, who, oh, by the way, the Jets managed to do something that they couldn't do under Adam Gates, which is win games, and so you don't get the dude who you really need. There's no quarterback in this draft that I look at, and I'm like, oh, we have to get someone this year because next year's draft is so bad. If Sam Darnold was awful, we'll be bad again next year, be right at the top of the draft, have a chance to get a quarterback again next year. We know that Sam Darno hasn't played well. We know that, like, if you look at Darno and you look at other quarterbacks who are young that have played well, we we normally see more from them <laughs> at this point in their careers. We haven't seen anything from Darno that would make you think, oh, he's definitely going to turn it around and become, you know, a gold jacket guy. Like, we haven't seen anything from him to say that. So, like, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, these other guys who are in the draft, Right? Like, you've seen it from them already. So it feels like, okay, you could let Darno go. Um, that being said, we did so little to support him, it, it genuinely makes me question whether or not this was a good idea. Well, and I think that the biggest F reason you're missing there is that the Jets don't win trades, so the Jets. <laughs> I think that's like, at the end of the day, that's just that's the unfortunate reality of the last, like, what is it, like 30-plus years? They had two AFC Championship games, which were good runs, good old Sanchez years. But, like, outside of that, you're really looking at a lot of net negative. I, I think that my thing is I understand the trade, and the reason I go A reasons, because so frequently coaches want their guy at quarterback you just got a, I think, a great hire in head coach at Robert Saul. I hope that the Jets don't mess that one up, right? Like, I really think that's a guy <laughs> that he's got a bright future and a good move for them. And so if he says, I would like a chance to, like, 
mold from scratch my guy, I understand taking a chance and going out and getting a new guy, right? Like, they never gave him a bunch of weapons. He is He's going to be 24 by the time next season starts. It uh, looks like, so obviously they won't get Lawrence, but whether they go Fields, who will be 22 when next season starts, or uh, Wilson will be 22 when next season starts, Trey Lance will be 21 when next season starts, that's really negligibly difference in age when you also factor in that, like, Sam Darnold does have some experience. You could talk about the coaching he's had, but some experience in reading a pro defense that those guys do not have, right? Um, I also think it's funny that the big Zach Wilson throw from his pro day where he's like theoretically is rolling out to his left and squares back up and it's a great throw. He launches it downfield on target, but all kind of stuff within like the hour people were pulling up Sam Darnold doing the same thing in an NFL game. <laughs> <laughs> like that part of that just like, Oh, so Zach Wilson is a pro quarterback. Like that's all it really shows us, right? Is he's in a t-shirt and shorts making a throw that pro quarterbacks can throw. Like I understand why they would do this. I understand why Jets fans would be upset about it. I, or in favor of it, right? I see both sides of that. And so that means we had to see. Well, the Jets have actually won trades. Like, it, the, the deal is that even when the Jets win trades, they don't win games. So it doesn't matter. Like, the Jets, the Jets years ago traded and ended up getting Brett Favre, who looked like an MVP until he hurts his shoulder, and then the Jets don't make the playoffs that year. The Jets before that were able to orchestrate enough uh, trades to get four first-round draft picks, one of those being... Uh, Chad Pennington, who's one of the best quarterbacks in my lifetime as a Jet, and we know that oh, I'm biased. Another there. shout out to Chad Pennington. Okay, Listen, we okay. know that I'm biased, but that's fine. <laughs> but the, so the point is, is that the Jets have won plenty of trades. The trades just haven't resulted in the type of winning that I would love to see from the Jets, because like I can remember the 1998 AFC Championship game where we're beating Denver at halftime, and then the second half, John Elway comes back, leads them back, and then Elway goes off to win his last Super Bowl. Right? So like. I can, as a Jet fan, cycle back to all of these things to say, yeah, you're probably right. The Jets are probably going to screw this thing up, right? Darnold's going to go, and he's going to be great with Carolina. Can I tell you something that's really frustrating for me, Mr. Ainsworth? Folks are saying that Carolina is providing Sam Darnold with weapons that he never had in New York. And don't get me wrong. I understand that Christian McCaffrey is a weapon that he never had. But the thing that frustrates me about that is that they'll point to Robbie Anderson, who literally played with Sam Tarno with the Jets. <laughs> I, he had that weapon. He didn't know how to use it. Or I should say Adam Gase really couldn't design plays for that. I think the thing that they're alluding to there, though, is also that you've got Matt Rule and Joe Brady, who as offensive minds. Not, not Matt Rule. Joe Brady. Joe Brady. <laughs> Joe Brady. Not Matt Rule. I, I'm putting as a pairing, but that's fair. Uh, the the idea there is that that is a great spot to land as a young quarterback, right? Like, it's not just the receivers. It's not just Christian McCaffrey. It's the combination of all of it, right? Incidentally, so the, the trade, because I don't know that we actually said what it was. So uh, Carolina gave the Jets a six-round draft pick this year, and the Jets pick up a second-round draft pick and a fourth-round draft pick in 2022. So it's just increasing all of the draft capital that the Jets have over the next uh, three years. So I'm going to take this to a place. <laughs> I'm telling you that now. And you can let me know what you think of this, right? The piece that's worrisome to me is all the Zach Wilson talk as the number two pick. And we talked about this. We alluded to this with previous theses around uh, Tua, which is it's obvious from the NFL perspective that the Jets have a dude who they want to take it to which is why all the movement was with Miami at three, because the Jets aren't going to trade out. And right. the piece that I'm worried about is I feel like I've consistently seen athletic black quarterbacks who actually can throw get downgraded on draft day. 
And now all of a sudden Deshaun Watson isn't taken where he should have been because the Bears want to take Mitchell Trubisky. Or all of a sudden Lamar Jackson isn't taken where he probably should have been. Like people thought that he wasn't even going to be a first round draft pick. And I'm a UK fan. So I saw that dude every year play at Louisville. And I'm like, if he's not a first round draft pick, who is? You know what I mean? (laughs) And so like when he gets downgraded, now I'm looking at Justin Fields and I'm seeing the same pattern all over again. And I'm like, you know what? If you're not going to get Trevor Lawrence, at least you can get Justin Fields. And now that's become, no, you're getting Zach Wilson. And it's like, I've seen the Zach Wilson prototype fail and succeed. That's the 50-50 you, you never know. I feel like I haven't seen as many Justin Fields fail. Like, I feel like I've yeah. seen that prototype actually do well. I think it's unfortunate, too, because it's like we're way overcomplicating this by looking at dudes in T-shirts and shorts at their pro days as opposed to what they've done on the field. Because I, I think there's this weird, and I say weird because it's it's – the only way to explain it is racial bias, right? Because the it's weird to think of Justin Fields as like, well, he doesn't make enough reads. It's like, well, A, that means the first dude's open a lot. Like, oh, big problem <laughs> Chris, there. Chris Olave is his number one receiver. <laughs> Chris Olave is going to be a first-round draft pick, too. Yeah. I, I throw it to him, too. I throw and, it to him and, all the time. And then, B, it was like someone, some bad, I mean, there are bad draft scouts all over sports media, and so I'm not going <laughs> to call anyone out by too many names. But some bad draft scout had this take where, like, he'd only made – the second read like seven times in the eight games this year. And then someone pulled up a clip of him making like 10 check down reads in the country. Like, <laughs> it was like, it was like, that's just not true. Like, like uh, you don't know their ins and outs, their offense, first of all, but it's also just not true. And I think that the big unfortunate thing there is if we'd had the 2021 draft without a 2020 season, because college football almost didn't have a season, remember, especially the big 10. Like if we didn't have that season, would we really be debating Justin Fields at two? I just, I think that we just find ways to knock him and ways to promote Zach Wilson. As like I said, there's only one real way to explain it, and that's really unfortunate. And let me say this, Mr. Ainsworth, because if we did not have a 2020 college football season and Urban Meyer is the dude who's now got the number one pick, like, right. Justin Fields might really be up for that, considering that Urban Meyer coached at Ohio State, considering that the type of quarterback that Urban has liked it's traditionally the athletic guy, which don't get right. me wrong. Trevor Lawrence is an athlete. Like he's people call him sneaky athletic, which is just really cold for you. Didn't know a white dude could run that fast. Um, right. Like to be Justin, fair, though, he does not run as fast as Justin Fields. Either. <laughs> <laughs> the, all those stats are elevated when the pro days are at your place. So I don't know that Justin Fields even runs that fast. You know what I mean? But he, <laughs> we know we know he can run. Right. And uh, that might be more of what Urban would want. I feel like what we're forgetting, Mr. Ainsworth, are all the tangible pieces that Bill Parcells used to tell us about drafting quarterbacks, where he used to actually talk about the number of starts that a quarterback makes, uh, their their touchdown to interception ratio, their completion percentage. Like if you compare Justin Fields and Zach Wilson, let's start by saying none of them hit the metrics that Bill Parcells would actually want to draft either one of them. Trevor Lawrence actually hits all these things. Neither Justin Fields nor Zach Wilson hit all these metrics. Justin Fields come closer. I would also point out that like Fields is coming out early, right? He could have played another. He he only played three years of college football in one year. He was a freshman that didn't start at Georgia. So like theoretically, he could have had another year to hit a lot more. Like the deal is he didn't play enough years to meet those metrics. Whereas if they'd had a regular 2020 season, he'd have had 
the num- he has the number of star he would have had the number of starts in a third year he would have had the number of wins likely in a third year well and the argument could then be made that Zach Wilson could have been there as well although Zach Wilson I think would have struggled to get to start 30 games because he he really and this is the thing that scares me as well um Justin Fields has done it for a couple of years at Ohio State Zach Wilson really didn't win a starting job until this year and then exploded this year which sounds a lot like Mitchell Trubisky. Even Mitchell Trubisky did it in a Power 5 conference in the ACC with North Carolina. This guy did this at BYU, right? This is a very different environment, too. What I will say is that if I, I want to firmly believe that the Jets will do the right thing with the second pick in the draft, and everything in me says, I don't know that the Jets are going to do the right thing with the second pick in the draft. And let's talk about that, too, because there is a way where both teams win this trade, right? Because if the truth is that with Salah as a new coach, he wanted his guy, and they're going to draft a quarterback at two anyway, right? Then really, they were going to get a quarterback at two anyway, and so they got something for a backup quarterback. If you value Sam Darnold as the backup quarterback to whoever they're going to bring in, that's a great haul, right? And that could work out. And then if you're Carolina and he shows up and works out as a great starter, that could also work out. Like There is a world where this is a win for both teams. It's not a zero-sum game. Except it's the Jets, so there's no world where the Jets are going to be good. <laughs> Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Mr. Ainsworth, our next thesis statement is one that doesn't have me feeling like a dejected Jets fan. It is one that's a little (laughs) more exciting for me because we're going to talk NCAA tournament, which I am a dejected Kentucky fan, but I digress. Um, Mr. Ainsworth, the thesis statement reads, This year, the NCAA women's basketball tournament was more compelling than the men's. I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth. How are you going to grade that thesis statement? So I'm sitting pretty high. I'm not quite in the A range because of one caveat I have, but I'm going to say it like a B plus. I may be talked into the A range by the end of this. We'll see. What do you think, Mr. Cummings? Um, if you're expected to be talked into the A range by me, it's probably not going to happen because I'm going to, I think I'm going to give this a C again. <laughs> Friends, Mr. Ainsworth was a little higher on the thesis statement. This year, the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament was more compelling than the men's. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, talk to me about why you felt like the women's tournament was more compelling. Well, so when I look at compelling, I think about like storylines and I'm looking at like teams making runs, players that are fun to follow, fun personalities. The women's tournament had a lot of that, right? You had 
we mentioned Ari McDonald, and we talked about Adia Barnes earlier uh, in the Gold Stars detention segment. You also had Stanford and Haley Jones. You had a lot of close games. The championship game came down to a point. You had Arizona-UConn was a 10-point game that was really a 5-point game with like a minute and a half to go. Stanford-South Carolina was a 1-point game with a shot missed, a putback missed at the buzzer, right? Uh, you go back around. You had Stanford-Louisville and South Carolina-Texas were maybe not the closest of Elite Eight games. But the day before that, you had UConn-Baylor and Arizona-Indiana. Again, yeah, these were fun, fun games. <laughs> Those were fun games, yes. Across the board. And so I look at that as like, man, that's hard to replicate. When I look at the men's side, uh, there were a couple of really great teams, but ne- necessarily like, yes, Jalen Suggs is a great player and a top five draft pick in the NBA draft this summer, right? But it wasn't like him. It was... Gonzaga and they had Timmy and they had the coach and they had the small school thing da 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 like Baylor very well could have three or four guys from the starting lineup draft in the first round this summer but it wasn't like any one of them stuck out every single night it was like tonight's Davian Mitchell's night tonight's Jared Butler's night tonight's sort of like Butler got player of the tournament because he had the most points per game but like I would have argued Davian Mitchell had a better championship game yeah right? Davian like, Mitchell made himself money <laughs> like he made money, himself money right and so there's not the individual aspect there I also think that we all think of the Jalen Suggs shot in the Final Four. However, there were a lot of not close games down the stretch of that <laughs> tournament, in large part because Baylor was just that good. And like I, like I think that that's it's. I don't mean to say that Baylor being that good is not fun to watch. I can watch a blowout win and enjoy how impressive that good team is, right? But I also like by ten minutes into the championship game was like. Well, this is this is just watching a good team. Like this is not this is not crazy fun anymore. Um, the one thing that keeps me from the A range is that I have a hard time remembering, and you are much more of a college basketball fan. Shout out Big Blue Nation than I am, <laughs> but I have a trouble remembering a time when we started off in October saying these are the best two teams in college basketball, and we finally got to see them play in the championship game in the women's side. You know, UConn loses a close game here. Stanford and Arizona play a close game there. I I might want to see some like of the final four be like those if those were like best of three series, those would have all been potentially, what is that, nine close games? That would have been a lot of fun too. No, absolutely. And I will say this, just to speak to that point of the two best teams kind of from the beginning of the season, getting to the end of the season and playing each other. Part of the caveat that comes along with that is sometimes the teams that you think are going to be the two best teams in the beginning aren't, right? So there's sometimes that you think in October, these are going to be the two best teams. And by the end of the season, you're like, oh, turns out they weren't that good, right? When I think about the NCAA tournament, there's a couple of things that I want in terms of compelling. One of the things that I want, and this is what the women's game doesn't consistently give me enough of, I want upsets in the first or second round because that's compelling. And when I look at the men's tournament, I got Abilene Christian. I got Ohio. I got North Texas. I got Oral Roberts, right? I got Loyola Chicago in the Sweet 16, right? I And you can look back in previous years and find your different levels of upset. What tends to happen in the women's tournament is you don't see the same level of upsets. The biggest upset in the women's tournament this year was a 13 seed Wright State beating Arkansas. That's the biggest upset. And really, otherwise, you're kind of getting chalk. Incidentally, like Belmont beat Gonzaga on the women's side, which is there's an irony to that, right? Because we're talking about Gonzaga. But that's a 5-12, which is a traditional upset, right? Anything 
kind of in that sphere is not really an upset. Like basically 5 12 6 11 7 10 those aren't upsets. Those are those are equally matched teams essentially. So when BYU beats Rutgers, like Rutgers has more women's basketball tradition, but that's not an upset. In terms of the final four, the women's final four was more compelling than the men's, right? Um really what you had was Baylor blowing out the teams that they played in the Final Four. And what you had in the women's Final Four was all crazy, close, dramatic games, with the upset being Arizona beating UConn in what wasn't a close game, right? Like, that was the compelling moment. And so how do you balance that with the shot that Suggs hits in the Final Four to knock out UCLA, who, oh, by the way, when we're talking about upsets, they were an 11 seed. They had to play into the tournament, played in, and made it all the way to the Final Four. And the game's tied with 3.3 seconds left in overtime. That's the game they lost to Gonzaga, right? And there, there's stories all over, right? So, Ari McDonald is a story. But Cameron Crutwig is a story, too, right? And there's, I mean... When you look at one shining moment and you start to remind yourself about the different things that maybe you've forgotten over the three weeks of the tournament, it's like, oh, yeah, Oral Roberts is a story, right? Like, so I, for me, it's a C because I, I think it's definitive perspective. In other words, Mr. Ainsworth, if you are a Stanford women's basketball fan and your team hasn't won a championship in nearly 30 years and now you win one, the women's tournament is more compelling, right? But if you're a Gonzaga men's basketball fan, like, let's go ask Andy. Andy Patton, which which one was more compelling, right? He's a Gonzaga fan. Gonzaga's undefeated. They had 28 games in a row where they beat teams by double digits. And then they played that crazy game with UCLA. And now they're in the championship going for an undefeated season, right? So, I don't know. I feel like your perspective is definitively going to bias you here. Um, well, so now, But I, I, I'm the Texan that just watched the team from Texas win the whole thing. I, 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 I'm not saying I have no perspective on it, but I, I also look at it, though, like, so you had two bigger upsets than anything you had in the women's game in the Oral Roberts and Applin Christian in the first round, right? But they both also, Oral Roberts beats a seven seed in Florida and then loses to Arkansas, and then Applin Christian gets waxed. Like, that, th they're gone, right? Um, I would think that the UCLA thing, and, and riddle me this, because I think UCLA had an interesting season if you go back and look at COVID protocols in the state of California. It's then the other thing that hit them all in December, January. I wonder if that the truth is they got screwed on the seating because of the way that impacted their season in a way that had they played a normal season, like like Johnny Juzang, you're a Kentucky guy. You know Johnny Juzang. Like that's not Yeah, hey. I know Johnny Juzang. You don't have to rub <laughs> that in. Thanks. Well, but what I'm saying here is that like that was a talented team that had a rough stretch of the middle of the season that was very unique to this year. I don't know if in a normal year they would have been an 11 seed, right, as far as the upsets of things go. Well, let me say this. They probably would have been an 11 seed because part of the deal was people disrespected the Pac-12. There was, there was a teacher on this podcast who did not. There was a teacher on this podcast who watched Pac-12, and I was like, if they are bad at basketball, then I must know nothing about basketball because those teams look good. And people disrespected the Pac-12 up until you couldn't. Up until USC is in the Elite Eight. Up until UCLA is in the Final Four, right? And then you can't disrespect them. So I think that they probably would have still been in 11 seed because people don't stay up late enough to watch Pac-12 basketball. Um, and, and one more thing, Mr. Ainsworth, because when you say Oral Roberts, let's, let's understand exactly what Oral Roberts was. Oral Roberts was a 15 seed that made the Sweet 16. We could go look at history in college basketball, 
That does not happen. I think they might be the second team to do it. Um, incidentally, the first team to do it was a team that has a coach that should be coaching at Texas, but I digress. Um, and Oral Roberts, that Arkansas game comes down to the last second. So, like, Oral Roberts, that's a huge story, right? Max Abmus is a huge story. Like, if you think about college basketball. So, I don't want to gloss over Oral Roberts and look at that upset and say, oh, well, there, there's only a couple of upsets that were higher than the highest women's upset. No, Oral Roberts is a huge story, and we don't see anything like that in women's basketball this year. So that's compelling to me. Well, and respectfully, there are lots of stories about Oral Roberts that I wish would come to light and would be much bigger <laughs> stories. But I, and I also want to point out, like, you did agree that Chris Beard would be the better hire than Infield. But I, no, I, absolutely. I, I, absolutely. I, <laughs> I think that I look at the women's tournament too, though, and think that, like, the fun thing about the women's tournament is also part of what makes women's college basketball different than men's. These names and characters will be around in college basketball yes, yes, longer. Yes, yes. How much fun would that Jalen Suggs run have been if we all knew he and Drew Timmy had to be there another three? Like, it's also <laughs> would be a shame because they should go out and get paid. And so there's like two sides of that coin. But as far as like watching college basketball games goes, watching those two play another couple of years together would be a lot of fun, right? Like, that's going to happen with Paige Beckers and the UConn team. That's going to happen with South Carolina. That's going to, right? That happens across the board in this. We like, Ariel McDonald is not a new name for people who've been watching college basketball because she's been in Arizona long enough to have her name felt in those circles, right? And that's that's a different piece of that game that doesn't exist in the men's game. So that's the piece that, in terms of compelling, like, it's definitive your perspective, in my opinion, right? Because if you are a women's basketball person, like, UConn did not have seniors this year. So that UConn team's coming back basically intact. Like... Okay, that's compelling. And not just basically intact because you know they're getting recruits, right? right? South Carolina. South Carolina's got the number one recruiting class coming in. They're not losing anyone significant from their team. They're going to be awesome again next year. Baylor's going to be awesome again next year. Maryland, so where everyone could opt in for another year, all of Maryland's seniors are opting in for next year. Maryland's going to be back on the women's basketball side again next year right and so it's these stories that if you're a, if you follow women's basketball you're like okay it's awesome because these storylines are going to continue and you're going to see these players as they continue iowa's going to be awesome in women's basketball next year right so like these things are going to continue and that's great but that feels very definitive perspective because as a kentucky fan right i'm used to my guys coming being here for a year and then bouncing Right. So like, right. I, for me, like what I listen, I would love if some of the guys who are in the league this year, like Emmanuel quickly would have come back. But I also understand that's not the nature of Kentucky. Nick oh, Richards right. ain't supposed to come back. If Nick Richards is supposed to have that year and go. You know what I if, mean? If the same rules applied, Zion and RJ would still be at Duke. They wouldn't have missed. Could you imagine? Oh, my God. Could you <laughs> like, imagine? And I do think that it, it impacts uh, folks who are maybe NBA fans and tangential college basketball fans, you know what I mean, to say, okay, um, uh, well, this is what the NCAA is. Where I, I, root, I root for both, right? I root for both college and NBA teams. So maybe it, it, it jades my perspective a bit. And so I bring that bias to the women's conversation. But I don't want to come off as someone who doesn't believe there wasn't a lot of compelling stories in the women's game. There were. I would just argue that it was equal. 
Adia Barnes is as much a story as anything else, right? And Don Staley is every year, and and, and but but what I was gonna say is you can't look at what happened with Baylor and and Coach Drew. Like that's a huge story as well. Is all I'm saying. I also, admittedly, will say like I don't necessarily value a first round upset or a whatever. Like that's fun in the moment, but like as far as the greater picture, of the product goes, like I would rather see the good teams playing in the. Elite Eight, Final Four. No, absolutely. But you do sound like someone whose bracket did really well this year when you say you don't value those early upsets, which makes I, you a jerk. For what it's my worth, I did, win, fire. I, I did win my work bracket. So Yeah, again, you're a work. jerk. You're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Cummings, our last thesis for the weekend wraps up with something that is also wrapping up this weekend. Uh, we're yeah. looking at the Masters in Georgia. The thesis reads, the Masters is the best tradition in all of sports. You hear that, and you think, what, Mr. Cummings? I think that there would be a lot of people restricted from voting on this thesis statement if it was on the ballot. That being said, it's probably it's probably a D for me. It's probably a D for me, Mr. Antor. Oh, interesting. Anyway, I, I think it's a C. Um, I think it's one of the... Anyway, I think it's a C, and we'll break into it in a second. All right, Mr. Cummings. Now, I thought I was straddling the line a little bit there in a minute, and you went lower than I did on this thesis, so... Talk to us about tradition, sports, the Masters. No, absolutely. I mean, part of it is that, um, and we admit this readily, we are not big golf guys. If you want a golf podcast, go check out Bogey Golf, another belly up uh, podcast, right? Because um, there are folks that are huge golf fans. I know who I am. I'm a Tiger Woods fan, right? So when Tiger is playing, then I'm paying attention. But I will say that I did watch some of this yesterday. And Hideki Matsuyama was killing it yesterday so like uh, again i'm not a big golf person right but golf in my opinion mr insworth is kind of like pornography from the supreme court perspective like i don't know what how to define good <laughs> golf but i i know it when i see it hideki matsuyama looked incredible yesterday he had uh this five hole run where it was like birdie birdie eagle i was like oh okay that dude's killing it right um the other thing that i kept thinking uh, Mr. Ainsworth, is that I am also an MMA fan, and there was this uh, MMA fighter whose last name was Matsuyama, and his nickname was Sexyama, and so all I kept thinking was Hideki Sexyama, <laughs> which is a whole nother thing that was on my mind looking at golf yesterday. But um, I, I'm not the biggest golf guy, so for me, it's a D. I, I think about things that I am a fan of, Mr. Ainsworth, and like if you were to say to me, traditions that are significantly bigger than the Masters. And I recognize that golf is a global game. But to me, every four years watching an Olympics, whether it's the summer, whether it's the winter, do you know want to know what I was watching this weekend, Mr. Ainsworth? I'm a huge curling guy. The curling championships are on. And I'm watching the United States up in Calgary curl their butts off, which I understand that that's a metaphor for doing really well and not literal in the sense of curling their butts off, right? They are playing incredibly well, right? So I'm watching that because, like, for me, I want to be prepped for what's going to happen in the Winter Olympics. I'm thinking about uh, the women's soccer team and what they're going to do in Tokyo coming up in the summer. I'm paying attention to the fact that the men's soccer team didn't qualify for the Olympics. I'm also thinking about the World Cup. The World Cup, global soccer is the biggest sport in the world. That comes every four years as well, right? And now you got global perspective and interest. While it may not be 
the biggest sporting event in the United States. Even in the U.S., we go crazy every four years for World Cup soccer, right? So I look at things like that, and I say because, number one, we don't get them as often. Number two, they feel a lot more global than even golf is, even though golf is a global sport. I think that those are bigger traditions. So talk to me. You you, you obviously are a golf head. That's why you went a little <laughs> higher, right? No, I will say, though, that I, so the Masters is always around Easter or around my birthday, always in – early April. And, oh, and it's I, a birthday thing. Okay, I got it. Well, no, but I, I think that part of it for me is I do feel like as far as traditions go, I always watch Sunday of the Masters, right? Like, like I think that that's why, like, even if I'm not this giant golf fan, if I'm like you, I like Tiger a lot, although Jordan Speed's after my own heartstrings as a guy that went to UT, right? But I really do feel like I watch a lot of Masters golf in my now 30 years on earth. And so I look at this like, oh man, I maybe it is a tradition, right? Like maybe it is something like I don't realize that I'm paying as much attention to as I as I'd like to. I also think that I can visually remember like my grandfather is the kind of guy that, that old man that watches a lot of golf. My dad will sit there and watch it with him and so like we would sit around on Sunday and watch matches. Like I think tradition when I think traditions I do think, oh, I do participate in the like I am one of those people, even if I'm not like keeping up with golf year round or watching Thursday through Saturday very intently. That said, it strikes me as like one of a handful of other traditions that like I'm not a big horse racing guy, but every Kentucky Derby I sit down and have it. Have it. <laughs> that <laughs> just means you're a big bourbon guy. That's all it means. <laughs> well, and I sit down and have a drink and watch the Derby, and I, it's two minutes of sports, but it's two minutes I watch every year. <laughs> like that's pretty good tradition. Um, Incidentally, did you watch Bubba Watson's uh, cleats? Because I think you'd like Bubba's cleat game. He's got he's, he's got, got a lot some, of swag. He's got, no, he's got some swag. Jordan fours that are. I think, like, I don't know if they're called golf greens, but you're going to Google. You'll figure it out because I know you know the names of all these things. Um, Mr. Ainsworth, I want to talk to you a little bit about traditions that I value more in sport than the Masters. Since I'm so low on this, right? So, Mr. Ainsworth, let's talk about something that you bragged about in the last segment. NCAA bracket and the tournament. I fill out a bracket every year. And I know people who fill up brackets every year, even though they don't pay a lick of attention to college basketball. And you you put your money in the pool. We do it at all of our work events, right? The way that that brings community together, even when though they might want to fight each other by the end of it because they're losing, right? Like the way that all that comes together, that feels like a better tradition to me. I so I do think that's another one of those things that if I even I've wa- if I've watched a handful of college basketball games in a season. I will fill out a bracket. I, I, it's, a, it's a narcotic <laughs> I try and shake, but I can't not fill out a bracket, right? And so I will say too, like I say it's a narcotic I can't shake because I've heard repeatedly it's a more fun tournament when you don't have a bracket because you have no like stakes. You're just watching for chaos. <laughs> I just can't shake it. So that, again, that's an annual thing that I do that I think is kind of in in line with all this other stuff. You're a super villain rooting for chaos if you don't fill out a bracket. Like that's crazy. Okay, another tradition, right? playing fantasy football every year like even if you don't know much about football it's fun you get a team you name it something crazy no so i would argue that fantasy football again it's like the fantasy football draft is another thing like to start the football season that i would dive into as well like it's a thing that every year like even if i didn't follow the off-season movement like i'm following it closely in the last few years but <laughs> if in high school i like spent my summer not following where people were diving into or this that, and the other thing 
I certainly did my research for the 24 hours before fantasy football draft. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I think that or Thanksgiving football, if we're going to stick with football season, there's a couple of college football rivalries like the Iron Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, and Texas OU. Like those kinds of things all have an annual feel to them. And I think that that's important. Absolutely. And I, I will say like college rivalries, especially when you consider like people will have a personal stake in those things. Like imagine being from the state of Alabama and your whole family's gone to one of the two schools, right? So there's, there's pieces that come along with that. I didn't really have that growing up in New York City. I only got that as I left. And now I'm in Kentucky and I go to the University of Kentucky. And so now there's Louisville people and Kentucky people, right? And so uh, that's another tradition that I did not actually think of that absolutely feels, at least to me as someone who's a college sports fan, feels more important on a day-to-day than the Masters does. Speaking of things that feel more important on a day-to-day, I'm a Knicks fan. The draft lottery (laughs) feels more (laughs) important to me. And listen, you're a Rockets fan. This year, the draft lottery is more important to you too, sir. So like, to me, paying attention to what's going on there and like, even if you don't follow college basketball, you kind of know who the best guys are and kind of seeing who your team might get or who your rival might get, right? Because uh, many years for you, Mr. Ainsworth, as a Houston fan, you're not a part of this, right? But the Mavs are, you know what I mean? So paying attention there, like, to me, that feels, especially as a Knicks fan who cares about this every year, even the years that we trade away all our draft picks, like, this feels more like a better and stronger tradition. Well, and I think it's interesting, too, because... So- for those that are listening for the first time, I'm a Rockets fan, and this is our fourth year to have a losing season since we drafted Akeem Olajuwon. And so we're looking at the draft lottery. Um, and <laughs> the other aspect, too, is if you've been reading my Rockets roundups every week, is there because of the Russell Westbrook trade a couple years back, if Houston is not in the top four, they actually don't. They have to, they're in a pick swap with Oklahoma City, right? And so uh, they actually won't get the benefit of this losing necessarily if it's the fifth pick. So the draft lottery is really, really important. It's also interesting that the year wearing the draft lottery is the year that it's leveled out to, you know, one, you could lose the rest of your games at this point and you have a 52% chance of being in the top four, which for Houston means a 52% chance of keeping our pick. And so, yes, Shaka, I will say I'm watching those ping pong balls very closely. <laughs> Let me just say, when your team is losing, the NBA draft lottery is a tradition unlike any other. <laughs> <laughs> Friends, that is another edition of F in Sports. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, why don't you talk to us about what's going on in midweek mid-range this week, sir? Yeah, so this week we'll be looking at injury news as far as some of the latest with Anthony Davis, LeBron James, one of those guys coming back. MVP talk, we have a Denver fan on fairly frequently, so I'm sure we'll hear more about Jokic <laughs> and those kind of things. Um, but I also think it's worth pointing out, like, it's time to start diving into the draft. And not just because I'm a Rockets fan, we just talked about it, right? But it's, worth that. it's time to start diving into the draft because a lot of these guys are going to be setting up their, you know, pro days and those kind of things or colleges, as well as getting ready for combines. And the WNBA draft is the next day. So we'll be Listen, talking about Listen, the Dallas bit. Wings have uh, three picks in the first eight or something like that, right? Right. And we have a young team as as is. I say we because there's no Houston Comets anymore. Don't get me started on that. But <laughs> um, So the WNBA draft the next day, I'm talking about the women's tournament some too and what that could project as. And... Oh, there's some new women's basketball jerseys. You have to see stuff on Belly Up about that, so it's fun time. No, absolutely. If you guys don't talk jerseys, I'll be disappointed. Mr. Ainsworth, <laughs> uh, you want to go ahead and drop your socials, sir? Yes, yeah, so you can find uh, me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Painsworth512. It's at P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H 512, all one word on 
Twitter, and Instagram. We also have an FN Sports Twitter page that's at FN Sports 2. That's at F I N S B R T S. Number two, all one word. Uh, I'll use dash PA, Shockley's dash CC, so you know which one else you're talking to. Because we're both looking at the lottery for the first time in a long time, so we're both <laughs> be talking about it. Uh, no, so Shaka, we got Instagram too. Absolutely. Incidentally, the Knicks are a playoff team. We're not as worried about the lottery this year. You can find <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Shaka Cummings. S C H A K A C U M M I N G S. Our Instagram for the show is at F underscore N underscore Sports. Incidentally, Mr. Ainsworth, uh, he I know he would want me to say that you can find Midweek Midrange at Midweek Midrange on Instagram and on Twitter, and he would also want me to say, don't be afraid to. Post up friends (laughs) thank you guys for listening please go out like subscribe share do all the wonderful things that help out our podcast and please remember when it comes to sports don't flunk with us later guys Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Whether you spend your days behind a desk, helping customers, or raising kids, if you were called to be a nurse, Loyola University Chicago's Accelerated BSN program helps you answer the call. Our 16-month ABSN program is designed for those who have already earned a non-nursing bachelor's degree. Choose from face-to-face or online formats. Both include hands-on learning in labs and in local healthcare facilities. If your true calling is to make a difference as a nurse, search Loyola University Chicago ABSN today.